Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. For the Lord, one more time. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Is anybody thankful for the Good Shepherd this morning? Amen. Speaking of the Good Shepherd, you go ahead and open up John chapter 10. As we continue our series throughout the book of John. And, um, you know, I heard a story this past week about a guy um, who was visiting the Middle East. And he was out one day and he was overlooking a pasture. And in this pasture there were hundreds, maybe even a thousand sheep out there. And it wasn't just one flock together. There was a few different flocks. There was a few different shepherds out there. They had their uh, flocks intermingled. And the shepherds are talking. They're hanging out. And they're just letting their sheep graze and, and play out in the pasture. But then the time came for um, them to go. And the shepherds started calling out to their sheep. And this guy's thinking, oh, well, this is going to be a mess. How long is it going to take for, the, for them all to have to sift through and sort through all of these sheep to get them back to the specific shepherds and flocks they need to be in? He said, this is going to take forever. So he watched intently. But then he noticed that the shepherds just stood there making their calls and all of the sheep began to make their way back to their specific shepherd. It was an incredible sight to behold because, like, they didn't have to sift through anything. The, they, the sheep just went and followed their shepherd's voice. Not one sheep went to the wrong flock. Not one sheep was left behind. Every sheep was where it was supposed to be. And that led me down, I heard that story, it led me down a rabbit trail on YouTube, watching all kinds of different videos about shepherds calling out to their sheep. And it was incredible that no matter how many other people would call out to these sheep, even if people tried to mimic and imitate that shepherd's voice and call the best they could, the sheep would not follow anyone except their specific shepherd's voice. However, if the sheep didn't have a shepherd, they, were just, they weren't going to just follow anybody. They were just going to be lost and wandering around. Because the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, it takes time. And it's a very intentional, intimate relationship that develops over time. The shepherd taking care of all of the sheep's needs. And then the sheep learn to love and to trust the shepherd. And shepherds who did not have an intimate relationship with their sheep, they wouldn't have those sheep followers be able to recognize their voice. And they would leave the sheep directionless, not knowing where to go. And this is the symbolism that God uses whenever he rebukes the leaders of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34. He said through the prophet, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You should not eat the fat, or you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. He says, the weak you haven't strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you haven't brought back, the lost you haven't sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for. Now fast forward to the time of Jesus, and we see Jesus seeing the same exact thing happening to the people of Israel all over again. 
Matthew writes in his gospel, Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus recognized their need not just for a shepherd, but for the shepherd, which he has come to be. So, if you have your Bibles, don't, you don't, you're not going to be able to look at the screen for it today. Okay? If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You ever had those conversations or situations where you think someone's trying to pay a compliment to you, but you're not really sure how to take it? Like, I remember years ago when I was still just a floppy-haired youth pastor, and I got a chance to preach on a Sunday morning. And uh, I felt like it went pretty well. And after the service, I had a lady come up to me and talk to me, and her and her husband were visiting for the very first time. She says that they enjoyed the service, but she also felt the need to tell me and admit to me that whenever uh, she saw me get up to preach, she leaned over to her husband and said, oh, we should have stayed home today. <laughs> and, like, I know what she was trying to say, but I can't help but think, what about me says you should have stayed home today? Right? I think those listening to Jesus could have been feeling something similar. It says they didn't really understand what he was trying to say. They could be thinking, all right, Jesus, we hear your shepherd analogy, but what are you saying about us? Are you calling us sheep? Because that was, wasn't one that you would really take as a compliment. Sheep didn't really have a reputation of being the sharpest or brightest animals in the pen. But I think this can actually be one of the most comforting teachings of Jesus because whenever you think about it, there was only one responsibility that sheep had. And that was to follow the voice of the shepherd. That's it. The only thing that they have been brought up and trained to do is to learn his voice and to follow it. And it's not like these sheep are just gullible, dense, wishy-washy beings that will follow whatever voice that they hear. No, they will not follow a random or stranger's voice. Jesus said that. So the enemy's tactic is not always to get us to follow a different voice, but more so to get us to stop hearing his voice. Now Jesus, he's in the midst of also calling out the Pharisees in this passage. If you remember at the end of chapter 9, he's uh, letting them know that because of their arrogance and their self-assurance, that's what's keeping them in spiritual blindness. And you can feel a little bit of God's rebuke in Ezekiel 34 in this passage because he's pointing out the type of shepherd the people really need. But he goes as far as to tell these Pharisees they're not really shepherds at all. If you look at verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them and he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus lets these Pharisees know 
God, no matter how highly they think about themselves or what pedestals they put themselves on, they are really not shepherds. At most, they're just hired hands. And because they have no personal investment in these sheep, the enemy is going to take advantage of them. And Jesus tells us what the entire purpose of the enemy is. If you look in verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that means Jesus comes to provide, protect, and to save. Let's take a moment to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much that you are the good shepherd. And I pray that this would be a moment in time where we truly listen for and hear your voice. I pray you speak into all of our lives and all of our circumstances and all of our situations. We thank you so much for being here, being present in the room. Father, we lift up West and Haven to you again, Father. I pray that you continue to heal Haven's body, and I thank you for the wisdom that you've given the doctors in that procedure, Lord, and I pray that you continue to bless every single aspect of it, and I pray you continue to give West strength as his little girl deals with cancer. And Father, I pray that uh, you give us wisdom to see you for who you are today. I pray all the distractions and stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory in your life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. So the first point for today, Jesus comes to provide. And two things that we see Jesus providing in this passage is identity and direction. And isn't that really what every human being really wants to know? Who we are? Where are we going? In verses 3 and 4, Jesus says the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows his sheep and he calls his sheep by name name. He knows who they are individually, uniquely. Can you imagine the shepherd who's got a flock of like a thousand sheep and yet he still knows each and every one of their individual names? That would be mind-boggling to me because I don't know if you're like me, but I'm horrible at remembering names. And I try so hard at it, okay? I don't want to be bad at it. I'm not one of those guys like, oh my gosh, I'm just so bad at remembering names. Tell me again. Like, no, it's not something I'm proud of. I want to be good at it. So much because I absolutely hate the feeling whenever I meet someone and the next time I see them, I have to ask for their name again or I call them the wrong name. That's happened way too many times, right? Because you can almost see like an immediate deflation in the relationship because it's like, oh, you don't remember my name. And it makes me feel like such a jerk because it's like I couldn't care enough to learn and remember the most basic but most personal information about a person. But thank God I'm not the good shepherd, amen? He never forgets a face. He never forgets a name. He knows you by name, and he calls you by name. See, Jesus doesn't call crowds. He calls individuals. And why is he so intentional about pointing out the fact that he calls you by name? Because especially in Hebrew culture, there was great importance put on the naming process. God was intentional about having Adam name all of the animals at creation because naming gave significance to every living creature. That's why on farms, if there's an animal that's born on the farm and the farmer knows that the family's going to eat that animal one day, he's not going to let his family name that animal because he doesn't want them to form that personal attachment to something that they're going to be digesting soon, right? 
And how many times throughout Scripture, whenever God was doing a great work in or through someone, does he give them a new name? You see, Jesus wants you to know that he knows you by name because he wants you to know that he places significance and value on your life. He knows who you are, and he also defines who you are. Again, in verse 3, he says he calls his own sheep. God calls you his own. That's what defines you. No matter where you were or what you did or didn't do or what pit or valley you had to be pulled from, no matter what anyone else has ever spoken over your life or called you, whenever you come to the shepherd and follow his voice, he calls you his own. And this gives a word picture of being like a prized possession in the original language. This isn't something that you own that's in your house that sits on a shelf or in a closet somewhere. No, this is a possession that you are proud of that you want to put on display for people to see whenever they come over. And that is where your significance and value comes from. Not by your performance or by the opinions of other people. You have value because he values you. And it gives him joy to call you by name and to call you his own. He provides you that identity. And then he provides direction. And in that order... This is what a lot of people don't understand about Christianity. God calls you by name. He calls you his own. And then he leads you out. You see, the, the thief wants you to think opposite. The thief wants you to think that, no, 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 you need to be led first. He wants you to think, no, you need to go out and you need to try to live righteously for a little while. You need to do a few things that God will be proud of. And then he will call you his own. But that's not the gospel. There's nothing I could ever do to be good enough for him. I'm just a sheep. <laughs> I'm just a sheep. Would you ever expect a sheep to go through an initiation or interview process in, in order to be accepted by the shepherd into the flock? No, we don't expect that much of sheep, right? There are no tests you have to pass before you come into the flock and family of God. He calls you by name whether you are looking for him or not. And then you, if you choose to follow his voice, then and only then will he begin to lead you out into this new life. And in this new life, he provides you with true identity. He provides true purpose. He provides true meaning to your life. He provides you direction. He provides you clarity. He provides rest for your soul. We see this played out in Psalm 23 that we just sang with our worship team. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, I find my identity in my shepherd. I'm his own. I follow his voice, and he leads me in the direction that I need to go. And then in verse 4, David goes on to say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me, which leads us to our second point for today. Jesus comes to protect. Jesus says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then he goes on to clarify in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, many times back then, the sheep pen uh, that they would keep the sheep in at night, it would be an enclosed area, and it would have fences or walls tall enough that would keep predators out. And a lot of times, um, especially out in the countryside, there wouldn't be an actual door or gate on the sheep pen. See, at, at night, the shepherd himself or the shepherd's assistant would lay in front of the opening and would act as the door. 
And it would protect the sheep from wandering away in the middle of the night, but also would protect them from predators. You see, Jesus wants you to know that if the enemy is going to come after you, he's got to come through him first. And I wonder if a lot of the attacks of the enemy that, that we talk about is really nothing more than them growling on the other side of the fence. Trying to scare us, trying to instill a little bit of fear, trying to instill a little bit of hesitation into our spirit. Because the reality is we're still safe because they can't get past the shepherd. Now, I know, I know, I know, and I have felt spiritual attack. Don't get me wrong, especially in this season. And I'm telling you, like, as soon as we had our very first vision service, right after September 18th, I'm telling you, it was one thing after another. You know, we start getting hit with like one bill randomly out of nowhere. Right after our first vision service, our, our fridge goes out. We got to go buy a new fridge, right? And then right when we get that fridge, um, and have to open a line of credit for that. Well, then we get hit with uh, three months of Fletcher's health insurance bills all at one time that we have to have paid. Then a radiator goes out in the car. Then a windshield gets broken in the car. Then the thermostat needs to go out. Then now you got to get new pads and new rotors. It's just like one thing after another. Nothing before September 18th, right? Everything after September 18th. But, you know, all that is is just petty attempts from across the fence. <laughs> because, yeah, we had all those car expenses come up all at once. Still got them coming in. But then... Uh, our church family put together some pastor appreci appreciation cash for me and my family that covered a lot of those expenses. <laughs> and then we get hit with three months of Fletcher's health insurance bills all at once, but then the North Carolina Baptist State Convention tells me they're going to give me and my family an entire year of free health insurance coverage for 2023. You see, whenever the enemy is barking behind the fence, Jesus keeps showing up. He keeps showing us that he's the one that's here to provide. He's the one that's here to protect, and he is the one that's leading us. And you know what's different about the way that shepherds lead their flock than any other farmers or ranchers is the, the shepherds, they don't lead from the back. The shepherds lead from the front. These shepherds never have the sheep go somewhere they have not already gone themselves. If a problem is up ahead, the shepherd will take care of it. If there's any danger, the shepherd is going to encounter it first. That's why David said he's got his rod in Psalm 23. Because if that wolf or that thief or that enemy is coming to try and scatter or snatch any of the flock, they're going to have to deal with the rod of the shepherd. And, you know, following the shepherd can be scary because he's leading from the front. We don't see exactly where we're going all the time. We don't see exactly what is up ahead or exactly where we're going. But we can rest in the promise that he has come to protect us, and he doesn't have us walk away from the valley of the shadow of death, right? But David says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear. Why? Because you are with me. And he's got his rod to protect me from the enemy, and he also has his staff to protect me from myself. If you think about the shepherd's staff, you know, it would have that little hook on the top. looks like a candy cane, right? And the staffs were intentionally made this way because there were times whenever the sheep would get themselves in trouble. There will be times where the sheep begins to wander away from the flock and the shepherd's got to snatch that sheep back in. There will be times where the sheep be walking around and fall into a ditch and the shepherd would have to get that hook and pull that sheep back out. But we can know that even if we wander, even if we fall, Jesus is here to bring us up and to bring us out. And being snatched up by that shepherd's hook, I promise you, is not going to be comfortable. But we can find comfort in it. Because we know there is nowhere we can go from his presence, his love, and his protection. Even when he has to protect us from ourselves. 
So when the thief comes to steal, Jesus comes to provide. When the thief comes to kill, Jesus comes to protect. And when the thief comes to destroy, Jesus comes to save. That's the third point. Again, in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Peter says there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Paul tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And there is no criteria to be met because Romans 10, 13 also says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And why do we need to be saved? Because without Jesus, we're just lost wandering sheep. We've been blinded by sin. We've been separated from God, and we are headed for nothing but death and destruction. The wages of sin is death. And, you know, sheep, sheep have this tendency of whenever a stranger or a predator approaches, the sheep, they just turn inward, and the sheep just got to huddle together, all put their heads together, and it's like they just hope the problem goes away, <laughs> which actually just leaves them more susceptible to attack, right? Whenever most creatures would put their backs together and try to defend themselves or at least run for their lives, the sheep are like, nope, if I don't see it, it's not there, right? <laughs> It's like the equivalent of just like pulling the covers over your head if there's someone in the house, right? How is that really going to protect you? <laughs> but how many times is that exactly how we live? We just put our heads down and we think if we don't see the problem, it's not there. So we'll pretend that sin doesn't exist. It's not a real issue. We'll pretend that Satan's not real. Hell isn't a real place. There aren't any enemies of hell trying to keep me from hearing or following the shepherd. We'll pretend that we got things figured out, that we don't need help, that we can handle things on our own. But, you know, you can have a plan without a purpose. You can have fun without fulfillment. And you can live a life that doesn't last. That's why Jesus goes on to say, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I want to provide you eternal life that you have forever to look forward to. But I also want to give you the absolute fullest life right now. In this life, I want to provide you identity. I want to provide you significance and value and purpose and meaning and direction because I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus can give us life because he gave his life. And make no mistake, nobody took it. He gave it. He clarifies in verse 18, he says, no one takes my life from me. I give it on my own accord, and I have the authority to take it back up again. And we so desperately needed him to give his life because we didn't have any means or direction to be able to have any real life anymore. Because we were just sinful sheep, lost and wandering. And yeah, the wages of sin is death, but because of Jesus, he provided the gift of God that is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Jesus goes on to say down in verse 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus provided the way to eternal life. Because as one pastor put it, the shepherd became a sheep. Jesus allowed himself to be led as a lamb to the slaughter, led to that cross so he could be the sacrifice that the wages of our sin demanded. We couldn't pay it ourselves, so he paid it for us. And on that fateful day, as Jesus hung on that cross, 
Matthew, he gives us this detail. He tells us that as Jesus hung on the cross, that darkness covered the entire land from about 12 to 3 p.m. And that's just as God said it would happen. Let's get this. Remember that rebuke we read in, in Ezekiel 34. You see, in that, God went on to say, well, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep and have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. Get this. He says he will do this on a day of clouds and thick darkness. See, the shepherd sought you out. He provided a way for you. And he offers you divine protection. He's invited you into his fold for all of eternity. The question is, will you accept it? Will you follow the shepherd? Now, for most of us in this room, we'll probably say, yeah, Kenny, we've done that. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've accepted. You, get, you don't have to keep evangelizing to us. No. We've accepted. We, we are Christians. We follow shepherds. So my question for you is, do you know the shepherd's voice? Because, again, like we've said before, the thief's tactic isn't necessarily to get you to follow a different voice. It's to get you to stop hearing his voice. And way too many Christians have fallen victim to this tactic. I know I have fallen victim to this tactic before. Because for some reason, we talk about having this relationship with God, but at the same time, we think he doesn't actually talk to us anymore. So in turn, our entire prayer lives are centered around talking at God without taking the time to listen for him to respond. And I know this is kind of a tricky subject because we've seen people be manipulative about this before. We've seen... False teachers, blatant false teachers get up and say, well, God said this or God told me this and he told me to tell you to do that. And we know they're just using it as a means of gain for themselves, which is exactly what God was rebuking in Ezekiel 34, saying that the shepherds were feeding themselves and not the sheep. So we see things like that, and in turn, we have a tendency just to stop pursuing it altogether. And so we stop pursuing the voice of God in our lives. But if that's the case, how can you have a relationship with him? You can't have an intimate relationship with someone that doesn't talk back. It's not a very good relationship. <laughs> and for some reason, we buy into this theology that says God calls you into salvation, but then he goes silent. But the reality is God wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into your personal life. He wants to speak into your specific circumstances. He wants to speak into your exact season of life right now. But will we know it's him whenever he speaks? Now, God speaks to all of us in a lot of different ways. And he has designed us all specifically with different personalities and temperaments and wirings. And he knows how to communicate to you specifically, uniquely, better than anybody else on the planet does. But the question is, do we take the time to listen? How much do we value hearing the voice of God in our life? Because you make time for what you value, right? And if you don't take the time to get still before God, to set aside a portion of your day to intentionally allow him to speak to you, then you're not going to know his voice. And the common question is, well, how do we know it's God? Right? How do we know it's not just our thoughts and what we're thinking? That's a great question because this is something that we have to learn and we have to grow in. Because remember, a relationship with the shepherd and the sheep is going to take a long time before the sheep really is able to recognize the voice of the shepherd and follow it. It's not just a switch that's turned on. We like, to, we like to treat it that way a lot, but it's not. It's something that we have to learn, that we have to grow in, and that we have to mature in. 
Just as it takes time for a child to learn and grow in their communication skills, so we have to learn in our communication skills with God. But the first thing that it's going to take is time. That's the number one excuse that we have, right, for not pursuing this. We got busy lives. We have full schedules. I know every single person in here. I know we have busy lives. We live a very fast-paced lifestyle in this day and age. Everyone is busy. Who has an extra 30 minutes to an hour in the day to get still before God? Right? But you have time for what you make time for. I firmly believe that. And what you make time for shows what you prioritize and and what you value. And as you put together your busy schedule, if time with God and the things of God are not high on your priority list, well, then your priority list is probably out of order, and the enemy is going to continue to use that to keep you from hearing the voice of God in your life. So, again, how do you know if it's God speaking, not just your thoughts? And we're going to get into this a whole lot more whenever we go into our series in prayer later on in the year, but I at least want to give you three filters. Whenever you get still before God, you have your quiet time. I'll give you very practical uh, steps, steps to do, right? First, set an appointment, okay? You, you set an appointment for every meeting that, that, you, that you do right, throughout your day, right? And it's really hard to not be consistent if you don't already set that appointment. That's what I tried to do. I said, all right, God, I'm meeting with you at this time and sticking with it, right? So set an appointment. Then be still and worship. Get still, get quiet, put some worship music on in the background, okay? We see all throughout the Old Testament God using music and worship to usher in his presence and to bring us into awareness of his presence. That's why we do music in our services. So set an appointment, get still, put some worship music on, and then read your Bible and pray. And if you want to know what specific thing you should read, well, anything from Genesis to Revelation. Anything in there, if you stay in there, you're going to be okay. Read. Read his, his word is living, and he has something he wants to speak to you. And then write down what you think God might be telling you. Actually write it down. This is something that took me about 30 years before I actually put it into practice because I just, I'm not a journaler. It's not what I do, right? And so if you read my handwriting, I can't read my own handwriting. So it doesn't, doesn't work that way. But uh, if you really feel like God's impressing something on you or he's teaching you something specific or leading you in a certain direction, write it down because then you can filter through it to see if it is you or if it's God. And here's three filters that you can filter those things through. The first one is scripture. First thing ask, is it biblical? Is what you feel like God is telling you line up with his word? He gives us the Bible as a guide to be able to recognize his voice. The Bible isn't just a set of stories and, and historical events. It's actually we get a glimpse into the heart and character of our God. It's about knowing him more. So the more we read it, the better we'll be able to recognize what his voice sounds like and what he values and prioritizes. So what you think God is telling you contradicts Scripture in any way. Like I could have a guy come up to me and say, you know what? I was reading that story. Um, You know, the rich young ruler got convicted. And God's telling me I need to just empty out the bank account and give it all to the ministry. Yeah, I know he's going to take care of me and my family, you know, because he's a God who provides. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to live by faith, right? Well, 1 Timothy 5.8 also says if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that might not be God telling you to 
empty out the bank account there. You might be getting caught up in the spiritual moment here. So let's pump the brakes and make sure that it's scriptural. The second filter to filter through is his glory. Does it lift him up? Is what you're hearing from God more about him than it is you? Because if I had a nickel for every single time I heard someone say, well, I really think God's telling me to do this because he wants me to be happy. I'd have a lot of nickels, right? (laughs) I'm sorry if it sounds harsh, but if you think the motivation behind whatever God is telling you is your happiness and comfort, it's probably not him. I don't think Paul would have said, you know, God's really calling me to go on these missionary journeys and be imprisoned and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and almost starved to death because he wants me to be happy. Probably not. But the result of that was God being glorified and his kingdom advanced. And many times God will call you into temporary discomfort that will result in eternal glory. But the glory is always going to be his, not ours. So is it scriptural? Does it lift him up? And the third filter to filter it through is your surrender. Does it lead you to depend on God more? You know, this past week I got a text from a guy. It's not someone who goes to our church, not someone who used to go to our church back in Shelby. You guys don't know this guy, so stop trying to figure out who it is, right? I got a text from him. Um, it said, what are, your, what are your thoughts on tithing? What do you really think about tithing? You know, like, is it really a tenth that we're supposed to give, or is that just an Old Testament concept, and now God's more concerned about the heart? Now, I could, I knew what he was getting at, right? He was looking for a way out. He was looking for an excuse, right? And, you know, and he tells me, look, I've tithed 10% my entire life, but now bills are starting to pile up. I'm trying to get a new place. It's going to be a little more expensive. And so, you know, I think God might be okay of me backing but if you have to ask the question, right, you probably didn't. So I didn't rebuke him in any way. Like, he does not tie to Hope Hickory. I had no skin in this game or anything like that. But I, I gave him some scriptures. I gave him some experiences and things that I've learned over the years. But then I left it at, look, you need to really seek the Lord's face about this, right? And at the end of that, the Holy Spirit's going to give you two options. He's either going to give you permission to back off on your tithe, or he's going to tell you to cut the budget somewhere else. And I'd be willing to bet it's the latter. Right? (laughs) Because what he was asking wasn't going to lead him to a place of deeper faith. It wasn't going to lead him to a place of a deeper dependence on God. It was taking things into his own hands, trying to find more, more earthly security. So I would hesitate that it was God leading him to do something like that. Right? So those are your three filters. Is it scriptural? Is it glory? Is it surrender? Now, I gave you three um, bad examples there. Um, Right. But if you like back in our Selah moment, I told you about whenever I was at that worship night. Right. And I felt like the Lord uh, brought to mind Mary and Martha. Right. Scriptural. Scripturally. I'm supposed to choose that good thing. Sit at his feet. That lifts him up. Right. And then that leads me to a place of deeper surrender because I have to stop trying to take things into my own hands. So when I filter those that through those three things there, I'm like, all right. God's trying to teach me something here, even though I probably don't want to hear it. <laughs> so let's take some time to learn and grow in this together. You know, listen for the voice of God. Write down whatever you think he's telling you. Filter it through his scripture, his glory, and his surrender, and I promise you that it'll be worth it. And I hope and pray that 
we build a church and a culture here where we have a group of believers that truly, authentically, and genuinely hear from God. And you're not going to grow in this just by coming to church on Sunday morning. Because I don't want to burst any bubbles or anything, but I am not the voice of God in your life. And you know what? I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want that pressure to be the voice of God. And I hope God speaks to you through our services and our sermons, and I hope he leads you to truth and knowing him more through being here. But I want you to know his voice. I want you to recognize his voice, not mine. Because he's the shepherd, not me. And I'm reading John chapter 10, and I'm, I'm realizing, we talk a lot about pastors being shepherds and stuff. I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm not the shepherd here. <laughs> I'm not a shepherd. If anything, at most, I'm the gatekeeper in verse 3, just opening the door for the shepherd. That's all I am here. And when I look at John chapter 10, man, the sheep pen, that whole picture, it really reminds me of the church. Because this is the place where we gather under his protection, under the protection of the shepherd. And whenever he calls, we recognize his voice, he leads us out of the sheep pen. And we follow him out to pasture, and we follow him out to where the enemy roams free and where dangers may lie, full of pits for us to fall in. But we also follow him out to the pasture where there's lost and wandering sheep without a shepherd. Now we pointed out that sheep aren't just going to follow another shepherd's voice, but I did see one video in my YouTube rabbit trail where a shepherd pointed out that sometimes sheep will actually follow other sheep. So if the, if the flock is out in the pasture and there's a sheep that's without a shepherd and doesn't have its own flock, it will sometimes attach itself to other sheep. And then whenever the shepherd calls the sheep back, they're not following the voice of the shepherd. They're actually following the other sheep. But then over time, as they stick around, they learn to know the shepherd's voice and to follow it. Isn't that a picture of what church is supposed to be like? We don't just stay here and gather here. We're actually sent out to pasture where there's other lost and wandering sheep. And then we get close to them and we bring them back into the pen with us in the hopes that they will learn the voice of the shepherd for themselves. But we can't lead someone to hear the shepherd's voice if we're not listening for it ourselves. But the good news is we can pursue it. We're not going to get there if we don't pursue it daily and consistently just once a week, not just a couple times. This is an everyday thing. But the good news is we can do it. I know we can because I know what he's done for us, and we can pursue him. We can actually pursue an intimate prayer life. We can actually pursue the glory of God because he pursued us first. I'm going to have the ladies go ahead and come back up before we close. In a time of worship, um, I want to finish with uh, David's last verse, the way he closes out Psalm 23. Whenever he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want to focus on that word, follow. Because it says, Goodness and mercy will follow me. That word in the original language is actually better translated pursue, or chase, or run after. I'm not saying that just because that's what the song says in the Bridge of Goodness of God, right? It, it, that song says that because that's actually in the lexicon. That goodness and mercy will run after me all the days of my life. Even when I run away, his goodness is going to chase me. Even whenever I wander, his mercy is running after me. Even whenever I fall, his goodness and mercy will still pursue me. 
And if we can get to the point where we allow our lives to be consumed with deep gratitude for the way that his goodness has pursued and chased us and is constantly running after us, then I'm telling you that we can live our lives as a response to his goodness with clear direction, with clear purpose, with clear identity. And we get to pursue him back for the way he pursued us. And we get to pursue others the way he has pursued us. So as you probably guessed it, we're going to sing that song here now. <laughs> so go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to end here in a time of worship, but let this be a time where you allow your mind to be reminded of all the times that the goodness of God has chased after you how often he's ran after you, how good he's been to you, how faithful he's been to you your entire life. Come on, let's sing that bridge for a moment. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.